I'm David. If you don't know who I am, on on staff here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So we've been in our series in Colossians, and we should all know by now that a rooted life is a a fruited life. So we've got the great example of Brady and Shirley and the their fruit, and we're seeking to grow fruit as we root ourselves in Christ. And um, so we've been plowing our way through this book. And I get to introduce our next speaker. So we've, you know, we believe, CCF, that being up here isn't just for the trained professionals. That if the Spirit of God lives in you, and you're in His Word, and the Spirit's in you, then you can, you can, you can share. So we've invited a couple students last week and one this week to come bring the Word to us. So we had John Rayborn last week. <laughs> Those stains come out, brother? Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> new robe, new robe. Okay. Anyway, so um, our speaker tonight, uh, she's a wonderful gal. She was our VP, right? Last year. Was it VP? Yeah, last year. She did all of our room reservations, which is crazy because we just do a lot of room reservations. I mean, it's crazy. We do so many. And she was amazing. She is amazing. Uh, she served as a core leader this year, and she's graduated. She graduated back in March, but is still with us. But next Tuesday, she's, she's heading up. She's, this is her last Friday night. Yeah, right? Right? You're going out, we're going out big. We said, if you're going to go big, go out, go big. So, so Celine is going to come. Celine Gross is going to come, and she's going to share the word with us. So come on up. I want to pray for you. We're excited to hear. <laughs> and I tell you what, I think she got one of the toughest texts in this book. And you did a great job. You were faithful and studied hard. And so we're excited to hear what you have to say. So, Lord, thank you for Celine. Thank you for her service to this community. And thank you, Lord, bless her as she transitions uh, into a, a new season. Thank you for her season here, and we're excited to hear what you have to say to us through her. Um, will you, may you bless her words, and would you bless our heart to hear what the Spirit is saying through her. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, family. There are so many of you. <laughs> but you know what? It's good to be in community on a Friday night, so I can't be mad about it. Okay. So, like David said, my name's Celine McCorfa and Mathis this year. Technically, we're called the Mathis Ladies Corps One, but we've renamed ourselves the Indecisive Corps because none of us can make decisions, so that's us. <laughs> and I graduated from Western in March with a bachelor's degree in English literature. Thank you. So it happens. You guys are going to get out. It's, it happens for real. <laughs> and I've been part of CCF for the past three years, and I can honestly say it's been the best part of my college career. And since tonight's my last night and I've been given a microphone, I figured I could take the opportunity to say thank you. And um, I'm so grateful for you guys for being the kind of family that supports me and encourages me, but also lovingly confronts me when needed. I love this community and the staff and how much they've pushed me to grow. In fact, I love the staff dearly, even though they asked me to preach without telling me there'd be an extra 150 people here today. 
that was a surprise. <laughs> but now that I got to say that and be mushy for a second, we're going to jump into Colossians. So, like it was kind of mentioned earlier, our title for this study in Colossians is Rooted because of how Paul continually encourages these new believers to be rooted in their faith. And if you were with us last week, you remember that part of what John was talking about is how believers relate to each other. And so tonight, we're going to talk about three specific arenas where those ideas play out practically. We'll be focusing in on a short passage that has a lot to say about how to relate to one another and how to keep Christ in the middle of all of it. So we're going to get rooted in our relationships today. Now, we live in a relational world, and even if you're the most introverted of all the introverts, I'm sorry, your life is still ruled by relationships. You were raised in a family that you had to learn to get along with. You've gone to school with your teachers, your classmates. You might have had a job that required working well with people. Um, If you get married one day, you'll spend the rest of your life in that relationship. And if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, your life is defined by your relationship with your heavenly father. So relationships are everywhere. And God loves that because it's what he created us for. Jesus lived as the perfect example of how to love people and relate to them. And God himself lives in relationship as the Trinity, the three in one. So I believe that God wants us to thrive in our relationships. And so we need to let him shape our relationships. Now, some of the instructions we'll be reading from Paul might seem counterintuitive or even backwards from how we want to think about relationships. But I just want to ask you if you trust that God's word holds what's best for us. In letting God shape our relationships and how we think about them, we trust that he has our best in mind. And ignoring God's word for our relationships, there is punishment. You could ask anybody who's been in a terrible relationship or anybody who's lived in a terrible marriage, and they'll tell you that there are very real and very painful consequences for doing relationships the wrong way. So, we're going to take a look at the instructions that Paul gives the church for how to do relationships the right way. So, we'll jump into Colossians, and if you want to flip to it, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be starting in chapter 3, verse 18. So, in this passage, Paul talks about three pairs of people. We've got wives and husbands, children and parents, and slaves and masters. And for his audience at the time, these were kind of the big relational arenas, and they might not be ours. You might not fit into two or one of those categories, but I think we can apply what he has to say to most of our relationships today. So the first instruction that Paul gives the church in Colossae is to the wives, and he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now I know that as soon as I said that, there are ladies who are like, no, I am a strong, independent woman who won't be submitting to no man. (laughs) And as your fellow strong, independent woman, I hear you. (laughs) But before we get all up in arms about it, I think we need to think a little more critically about what Paul is saying here. So Paul's writing in the context of a patriarchal society, and at the times, wives were viewed as their husband's property. So the fact that Paul's addressing them at all is insanely countercultural. And including specific instructions for the wives here means that the letter was for them to hear and not just for the men. So addressing them here directly reflects a sense of dignity and worth that their culture wasn't giving them at the time. And Paul was demonstrating that they had a critical role to play in helping the marriage relationship be rooted in Christ, and it can't be done without them. 
I think we also need to talk about the word submit or submission. Because I think that what most of us think about when we hear submit is that the person being submitted to has absolute authority and permission to rule with an iron fist. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Submission is an attitude that recognizes someone else's authority, and it's being willing to yield to someone else. So that's what Paul is instructing the wives to do here. In a situation where someone has to defer leadership, maybe you're making a decision and you're like 50-50, someone's got to go 49, someone's got to go 51, the wife is the one who should yield to her husband. And because she's comfortable and secure in her relationship with Christ and with her husband, she can defer leadership and trust her husband to lead her well. And this act of yielding has nothing to do with worth or equality here. I mean, think about the relationship between Jesus and the Father, the Heavenly Father. In that relationship, they're equal because they're both God. But in a situation where one of them had to yield, Jesus was the yielder. When Jesus was about to be arrested, he asked his father if there was any other way. But the father's plan was that his son would die for the sins of the world, so Jesus yielded to his father's plan. So Paul's instruction for wives to submit to their husbands is immediately followed by instructions for the husbands in verse 19, where he says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So he instructs husbands to care for her, their wives and to be concerned for her well-being, which is, again, radically countercultural because they were property at the time. And in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he says something really similar. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in case you don't know, when Paul says gave himself up for her, that means that Christ allowed himself to be tortured and killed and I think that is asking a lot of a husband. So if you ask me, I think the husbands have a much tougher job here than the wives do. So, <laughs> so when both the wives and the husbands respond to one another like Paul asks them to, everything is in balance. Because husbands will love their wives selflessly and look out for their best interest. And wives will feel comfortable and confident in deferring leadership to him, trusting that he's looking out for her and leading her to Christ. And I know that there's a lot more to be said on this that we can't fit into our time together tonight, and there are probably a lot of questions going on. Um, so I just want to encourage you, if this is something that doesn't make sense, and you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that, talk to someone on your staff team. Because I got to talk to David Nebel about this a lot while I was preparing for tonight, and it was really helpful um, to get some different perspectives on what this scripture means. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. But even if you're sitting here like, no, that still doesn't sound right, I don't like it, I think the fundamental question is, are we willing to trust God with what he says? God asks us to do a lot of tough things in scripture. He asks us to forgive, to love our enemies, to not take revenge when we've been wronged, and he asks wives to submit to their husbands. So, are we willing to trust that he knows best? Now, after Paul's done addressing the wives and the husbands, he gives instructions for children and parents. And I recognize that not all of our families look the same. You may have been raised by your parents, grandparents, foster parents, or maybe other adults in your life. But either way, most of us can point to a parent-like figure in our lives, which means that this verse is for all of us. 
So verse 20 says, children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. We are being asked to hear and carry out instructions from our parents. But I think it's important to note here that Paul says this in a Christian context, and that these are instructions for Christian homes. And because of that, this instruction to obey our parents comes with the assumption that our parents have Christian attitudes. So I want you to know that when Paul says, always obey your parents, he does not mean that you should obey them if they're asking you to do something that God would not approve of. But what Paul does say is that obeying our parents pleases the Lord. So I want to jump back to Paul's letter in the church in Ephesus really quickly, because in Ephesians 6.1, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So because of the nature of child-parent relationships, it's right for children to obey their parents. So when my mom asks me to clean the bathroom, it's pleasing to the Lord when I obey. And I assume that also implies that I should obey without complaining about it first. (laughs) Or when my dad asks something of me, like to be nicer to my sister or to help him with something, and I do that, it's not just to honor him, but it's to honor the Heavenly Father. And I know, too, that it's not always easy to obey our parents. And depending on your relationship with them, it might actually be really tough. Maybe you're thinking, yes, I understand this is talking about obedience, but you don't see the way my mom looks at me. Or maybe I understand that this is what God is asking of me, but you don't hear the way my dad talks to me. And our parents will never be perfect, but we have a perfect heavenly father. And our heavenly father says that it is pleasing to him when we obey our parents. So if it's really tough for you to obey your parents, for whatever the reason... I encourage you to remember that it's not necessarily for them, but it's worship to the Lord. And if that relationship is something that's really complicated in your life, and if you're struggling with this idea of obedience, again, want to invite you to talk to the staff about it, because there's so much to be said that we can't fit into this amount of time. And I know that they are an amazing resource for talking through things uh, that you're walking through in your own life. So, Paul doesn't leave the parents of the church without instruction. And as a mother of exactly zero children, I know that I have no authority on how to tell people to parent, okay? I'm aware. But God's word has authority on how to parent, so I'm just going to go off of what's already there. In verse 21, Paul writes, Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. So he's writing to the fathers here, which suggests that they're the heads of the household, But considering the way he includes women earlier in the passage and puts them in a place of importance as well, I think it's safe to assume that fathers here can include parents in this context. Now, when Paul says, don't aggravate your children, he's not saying that they should never tell their kids what to do or make them clean their rooms, because the kids aren't getting off that easy. And while discipline is definitely necessary in raising a child, parents should do it in the right spirit. Parents who consistently find faults in their kids or nag in an angry and aggravating way end up discouraging them. And when parents are overly demanding or severe with their kids, they start to feel like it's impossible to be good enough. But when children respect their parents by obeying them, and when parents love their children by disciplining them from a right spirit, we have a balanced family dynamic that is beneficial to the family and pleasing to the Lord. So two for one for you. 
Now, the next set of instructions from Paul is a little bit tricky to navigate. So I'd like to start just by reading it, and we can break it down from there. We're going to be starting in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. And at first glance, this doesn't really seem like something that God would approve of. I mean, if God loves his kids, wouldn't he hate slavery? So why would he encourage enslaved people to serve their masters? There's a bit of cultural context that I think will help answer some of these questions. At the, to- at the time that Paul was writing this letter, indentured servitude was common practice. So an example of that would be, um, say I racked up a bunch of debt by, I don't know, going to college or something. <laughs> It's completely unheard of, I know. So I've got no way to pay my debt. But if I lived at that time, I could effectively sell myself to someone. We would agree on a number of years that I would work for them, and then they would pay my debts in return for my labor. And this was common practice. And I think that's what Paul is referring to when he says slaves here. Because in other translations of the same verse, the word bond servants is used instead of slaves. Now, I'm confident that God hates slavery, and the way he displays his character and love for his children throughout scripture proves that to me. But I don't want our modern and American understanding of the word slave to get in the way of hearing what God is teaching us in this passage. The closest modern-day equivalent we have to the slaves and masters that Paul is talking about here are employees and their employers. And many of us have experienced being an employee and needing to follow our boss's orders, And because most of us here are in college, I assume we all want to be employees at some point. So this has very real and very immediate relevance to our lives. We are told to obey our earthly masters in everything and to try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching us. So really quickly, if you could for me, just raise your hand if you've ever had a job that you hated. Oh, I mean, that's what I was thinking, but dang. I know you've all got, like, very specific jobs in your brain right now. So, last year, I had a retail job that I despised. And any of my family or friends could tell you how much I hated it because I complained about it all the time. Zoe's nodding like, yeah, she did. (laughs) So, I didn't want to, to obey my employer in everything because, frankly, I thought a lot of what he asked me to do was dumb. But I did it anyway because I needed the job and I wanted to get paid. And I definitely wasn't motivated to try to please him when he wasn't watching because what would be the point? So I used to come home from every shift all angry and frustrated by whatever happened that day. And I subjected my poor parents to listening to me complain. So I'm sorry. (laughs) And one morning when I really didn't want to go, like dragging my feet, my mom told me, Celine... You just have to do your job like you're doing it for the Lord. And when she said that, I got that like really weird gut feeling when someone says something convicting and you know it's true, but you really don't want it to be true. (laughs) But that's exactly what Paul tells us to do. He says in chapter 3, verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. So when we work hard at our jobs, at the jobs that God put us in, it's worship. 
And it's honoring the Lord by being good stewards of the jobs that he allows us to have. So while I never learned to love my retail job, and I probably still complained about it a lot more than I should have, I started to pray in my car on the way to every shift. I would offer up my day to the Lord, and I asked him to give me an opportunity to serve him and to love his kids while I was there. And he always came through with that. There was always a customer that I could be kind to or a coworker who was having a bad day and needed me to take some of their load. So when we work for God instead of for people, and we, we honor him, and we set ourselves up for great work relationships, which I think everybody's looking for. Now, the other half of the work relationship that Paul does address is the employer. So he has instructions for them, too. In Colossians 4.1, he says, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So the people in charge aren't off the hook here. As the person with authority over someone else, they're called to be just and fair. And just because they have the opportunity to wield power over somebody else doesn't mean they shouldn't treat them with kindness and with dignity. Now, I'm sure there are people in this room who will one day be employers and probably have a great deal of authority over people. So we have to remember that even in that position of power, we still serve a master who is Jesus. And just because we think we're all high and mighty here on earth doesn't mean that we don't answer to anybody. And when we think about the love and kindness that has been shown to us by our master, we should want to extend the same love to the people under our authority. Now, Paul has given very specific instructions for very specific people here. But I want to suggest that there's a common theme running through each of these three pairs of people. So I mentioned earlier that my degree is in English literature, which means I love books. (laughs) Right? And one thing I think we can all agree on, whether you're an English major or not, is that the main character in a book is often the one who's mentioned or talked about the most. Like, the name that comes up the most is probably the main character, right? Well, I noticed something while I was reading this passage, and I did a a bit of color coding to show you what I noticed. So, there it is. So, I just wanted to make everybody mentioned in this passage a different color, just so I could see it. And I noticed that God's name, or a variation of it, is mentioned way more than any other name or title in this passage. (laughs) If you're a wife, you're mentioned twice in here. If you're a husband, child, parent, slave, master, you're mentioned twice. But God's name is mentioned nine times in this passage alone. So I'd say that makes God the main character. And what that says to me is that no matter what your role is in any relationship, it's not just about you and that other person. And that relationship is about God. So yes, we carry roles, titles, and unique identities, but we are here to honor and glorify God no matter who we are. And based on what I see in this passage, our relationships shouldn't just be person to person. If we're Jesus followers, our relationships should be us and another person with Jesus standing in the center. Now, the girls in my core know that I have a lot of complicated feelings about the message translation of the Bible, but its translation of verse 24 really stuck out to me. It says, keep in mind always that the master you're serving is Christ. And I know this statement is directed to the slaves or bond servants in this passage. 
but shouldn't that apply to all of us? I mean, Paul reminds the earthly masters that they too serve a master in heaven. So in every relationship we have, because we're serving Christ, Christ needs to be the filter between us and that person. I have a picture of Lindsay here. This is Lindsay. And I have a relationship with her because she's my little sister. And maybe I shouldn't call her my little sister because she's like six feet tall. (laughs) But you know what I mean. So because I have a relationship with Lindsay and I serve Christ as my master, I need Christ to stand between us as the lens through which I view Lindsay. Everything I say or do to her should be run through the filter of Christ's love and how he wants me to treat her. So I should always be thinking, okay, if I said blank to Lindsay, you can fill that in for yourself, would that be able to pass through the filter of Jesus that's between us? He should always be in the mix, allowing his presence, power, and perspective to fill and direct our relationship. And I'm sure if you asked her, Lindsay would tell me that, would tell you that I'm not always great at remembering that. But, as my youth pastor would say, I'm a jacked up sinner and I am learning. (laughs) So, if we trust that God's word is true and helpful for learning and growing, we trust that we've been given the blueprints to navigate our relationships. Having a rooted faith means having relationships that are rooted in Christ. And it takes a mature Christian to recognize that our relationships aren't just about us or what we gain from them. The more we root ourselves in our faith, the more we'll understand Jesus' character. And the more we understand Jesus' character, the better we'll be able to relate to the people around us through him. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he picked relationships that those people identified with. Everyone who heard the letter would have found themselves in at least one of those relationship pairs, but likely they were in two or even all three of them. And I know that we may not find ourselves fitting into all of those relational categories, So I encourage you to think, what are some relationships you're in that you're finding it difficult to keep rooted in Christ? Maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's your roommate, a professor that you clash with, maybe a classmate, or even someone in your core. I'd like to invite the worship team up to get ready here. We're going to put up a couple prompts to kind of think about this, and you can either journal, I'm a journaler, or you can sit and pray through them, but I encourage you to really seek what the Lord is saying to you here, Um, and you can respond journaling, praying, however you see fit, Um, and after a couple minutes, I'll pray to close our reflection time. So, we have our prompts, thank you, so our prompts are whether you consider yourself a Christian or not. What relationships in your life would you like to see Jesus transform? Or what do you think Jesus would say to you about those relationships? So feel free to take a couple minutes on those.